Okay, the king crab part is partially true. I do eat a lot of that. I'm, I'm eating so much of that that the last time I had that at dinner at my family's house, I didn't even touch the dish because I was tired of it. And I'm not exaggerating. Sick of it. I was sick of it. It was no longer exotic or unique to me at that point. Welcome to Proudly Asian, a podcast series that tells bold and proud stories of Asians by Asians. My name is Isabel, your podcast host, and I'm here to find stories that challenge biases we face every day. There's never just one way to look at Asians. This podcast will take you through a deep dive into the life stories, struggles, and triumphs of young Asians around the world. On today's episode, we have Linji, a first-generation Chinese-American from Flushing, Queens, New York. He's a full-time stay-at-home dad and the co-host of West Asian Podcast, who lives by one creed, why work when you don't have to? He joins us to talk about his Asian dad's money philosophy and why Alaskan king crab is on his dinner table all the time. Welcome back to Proudly Asian. Now, continuing our Money Smart series in November, we'll be speaking with smart Asians or Asians who have smart money management ideas from around the world. So, of course, they are not going to be investment advice. We are not going to be doing stock picking, um, but rather we are tapping the collective wisdom of our guests from around the world. And hopefully they can prepare you or give you some tips and knowledge or experience sharing to equip you with um, any unexpected money situations that might be coming your way. So in this episode, we are bringing in one of the most money smart friends that I know, despite he might not agree. But fun fact, he's a full-time husband and dad. He's not working. He doesn't have any full-time work unless he has any major life updates for us this episode. But he's been living this lifestyle forever. And he has once proclaimed on his podcast that he just doesn't like working. And that's why he doesn't work. So I can't find a better guest than this person. And this is a completely brand new guest. He hasn't joined our podcast before because before um, this person joined as podcaster Linji, but today he's joining us as Rich Linji. So welcome to Proudly Asian, Rich Linji. Thank you, Isabel. My God, that's all a very roundabout way of saying I'm unemployed. Well, I mean, in your dictionary, employment doesn't exist. (laughs) It's a life choice. As with many things in life, you can choose whether or not you want to be employed. So, yeah, I mean, I'm sure like if this gets out on YouTube or like social media, that will attract a lot of haters and then they will leave comments like privilege. (laughs) Privilege, yeah. I mean, in many ways, I will talk about later. I am very privileged. Mm. But at the same time, you know, it's funny how you're doing. I think we said this off air. It's funny how you're doing a series on financial literacy and advice this entire month, which I think is great. And then you invited me onto this podcast. Initially, I, I wasn't sure what we were doing. And now I feel a bit um, out of place to say, or like like I'm faking it to be placed within this. So I will probably give you 
be, be giving you guys less actual financial advice and I guess more a philosophy on how you should handle money and your life and things like that. That's that's what I'm going to try to do because I don't think I'm the most financial literate person or I know exactly what you should be doing uh, tit for tat with your money. But I do feel like hopefully through the, cor- through the course of this conversation, we can talk about our, our views on money, your view, my view, and just what people should be thinking as we obsess over money our entire lives. Yeah. If anything, that's um, what a lot of people need. Like rather than a guru coming in and be like, hey, like I'll give you a formula that will ensure, you know, like money success. Exactly. Right. <laughs> and I think I've said this yeah. to you or to a lot of other people, the past 10 to 15 years when the markets and world conditions were great you could put a blindfold on take a dart throw it at a board pick a stock and as long as you held on long enough quote unquote long enough you were making the correct uh stock choice or the correct financial decision right you were in a market Mm -hmm. where things were just so abundantly good that it was hard to not make money now you know like to your point now that markets are more rough and the world is uh, completely different now now it's going to be a true test of whether those quote unquote financial advisors know what the hell they're actually doing Exactly. Now, but then um, before we get into the whole talks about like money philosophy or like how you got rich, how you could afford I didn't eating get rich. Um, king you crab need to stop every day. That. Okay, the king crab part is partially true. I do eat a lot of that. I'm, I'm eating so much of that that the last time I had that at dinner at my family's house, I didn't even touch the dish because I was tired of it. And I'm not exaggerating. Sick I'm sick of it. It was no longer exotic or unique to me at that point. But the rich part... I'll fight back on. Sorry, you were saying. (laughs) I'll rephrase. Like how people can actually learn from you, um, your lifestyle of eating king crab to the point that you're sick of it. (laughs) So we're going to talk about that in a bit. But for our listeners who haven't really listened to um, the previous episode when you joined us along with Curtis, where we talked about being podcaster, um, just very quickly, quick introduction about you, Linji. Who are you? What are you? Where did you grow up? And how rich are you? Oh my god. Uh, my name is Linji. <laughs> I was initially born in uh, mainland China. I then moved over to Paris, France for a couple years when I was young. Eventually found my way over here. It's the very not common story of just your parents uh, chasing a job and employment wherever they could. That's why we bounced around so much. Eventually settled here in, in uh, New York City in, in America. And I've been in this entire area uh, for the past... 30 years or so. I am currently a full-time dad. Um, I do a little bit of stuff to keep myself occupied. Uh, Part of that is a hobby that you and I both collectively share, which is uh, not making money on the internet via a podcast. (laughs) That's probably the least good financial advice I can give you. Um, Aside from that, I don't think there's anything special about me. I just think I'm a regular person on the internet. Um, I I do have a podcast, as you mentioned before, it's called Worst Asian Podcast. much like you, it's just a passion project. We just have a good time talking about things that you and I want to talk about. So if if anyone wants to listen to that podcast, you can. I'm always going to insert whatever plug I could in whatever platform I'm invited on. So thank you, Isabel. And I hope we have a fun conversation because Isabel and I have talked a lot off air. So hopefully this is a more casual conversation, not so much an interview. Because I do think at some point during this conversation, I do want to ask you, Isabel, some questions as well on mm-hmm. behalf of the listeners, mainly myself. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, sounds good. I mean, now I'm definitely not nervous because I definitely don't have a lot of um, money philosophy. Even before I walked into this recording, I, I kind of like thought about, oh, if I am going to talk about my money philosophy, what what would that be? And I just mm. feel like I don't have a very like well established or like developed money philosophy yet. I mean, just because I feel like everyone feels the same, even you know, like for people that we perceive as rich, like we were like, oh, how did you make it? But then they would always answer like oh did I really make it like I don't feel like it so I feel like in a way this is kind of like a equalizer for everyone like no one would think that they are doing well mm-hmm. in terms of money I don't Everything know if it's is true. relative you know when you say making yeah. money by our standards it's probably different as opposed to like someone that's in a different environment their idea of making money is just not having to worry about paying the rent I'm sure you and I can mm. both say that we're at least privileged enough to not really have to worry about whether or not we have to pay rent this month, next month, right? You and I probably have like a mm. decent enough uh, backup nest in the bank that we don't think too much about those things. So like you said, whether or not you've quote unquote made it is completely relative to where you are. Since you mentioned a little bit about your childhood, your parents' journey going from um, England, China, France, and then eventually to America, mm-hmm. um, I'm wondering um, your growing up experience, because like we talked a lot, but then I feel like we don't know a lot about like your growing up experience, you know, mm-hmm. like any specific memories. But then I'm wondering if um, your upbringing and childhood's memories ever informed um, any concepts or ideas or relationship that you have with money. Yeah, I think that's always true. No matter who you are, what environment you go around, what uh, philosophies or the way that your family members in your household handle money, whether or not you directly are aware of it, you're absorbing that. In some ways, you're going to grow up to be much like what you um, grew up around. So my parents, like every traditional Asian family that I know of, well, like I said, we traveled around because we were, ch- we not we, because I was a kid at that time, but my parents were chasing employment. They're they're simply looking for work wherever they could. And my parents are not very well educated, right? I think they're great, smart people. But of course, the educational system, they never went through it fully. They only went up to a certain grade because that's where their life allowed them to do. So they didn't have the tools at their disposal to get quote-unquote good jobs. So they just chased employment wherever they could. Uh, That in addition to just how much my parents worked when, when once we eventually landed in, in America, in New York, really taught me like the same boring stuff, right? Work a lot, save a lot. Um, why are you saving a lot? You're saving a lot so that you can eventually buy a house because in a lot of Asian families, home ownership is the pillar of financial security. You're working so that hopefully at some point in your life, you don't have to worry about whether or not you have a job because if you have a house that's uh, fully paid for, then that is something to always fall back on, even on the roughest of times. So those Mm. very typical Asian things are what I grew up around. And for better or worse, I absorbed a lot of it and I took with it and I did with it what I could based on how my parents taught me to perceive money, right? Um, I'm sure if I grew up in a house that was more privileged and more privileged relative to what I had, I would have perceived money very differently. But in a lot of different ways, no matter how much I try to fight it, I'm always thinking, how much harder can you work? How much more can I save? And I'm just wondering if at some point um, you would have carried any money habits with you that maybe like your entire life you would think those were um, common, that everyone would do the same. Like, have you ever had that realization where like you kind of held on to some money habits, but then you realized not everyone does that? I'm 
asking um, with maybe kind of like a specific example in mind, like I was reading some, you know, personal finance books. And then I realized Mm -hmm. that, you know, like one characteristic that's shared by a lot of um, people who grew up in an Asian household would be that scarcity mindset. Yeah, of course, of course. When you don't know where the next meal is going to come from, you're, you're, you're very careful and deliberate with the choices that you make now. Um, I can't think of any specific examples off the top of my head, but I remember growing up my entire life, and then this is maybe maybe you're similar to this based on how your parents were, but everything that we bought, whether it was like a small purchase at the grocery store that day or a quote-unquote large purchase, it would always be on sale or clearance, or it would always be like the price of it would always be talked down at some point. Never do I ever remember that we would just buy something at the full MSRP price because my parents always thought, okay, if this is not on sale now, we can wait for it to be on sale. Or when we needed certain things, we would shop on clearance. You and I were joking about buying winter clothes in the summer, right? Because traditionally, Jackets and shit are really cheap during the winter because either they have stock from the past uh, fashion season or it's a slow season for them. So they need to bring in some income, right? So there's always stuff that you can do to save money on whatever you're going to buy. Like you should never, and this is how my parents saw me, buy an impulse large purchase because most of the time you're just buying it and you're going to regret it at some point. Always take a second, detach yourself from the situation and think about it. And, you know, nowadays, they would say, just pick up your phone, check on Amazon, check on eBay, check on wherever, see if you can find the same thing at like a cheaper price, right? So never buying stuff at full price is like a big thing that I learned from my parents that I still carry with me to this day. No matter how I view money, I feel if you can save a dollar or two on something and it's not too much of a hassle, why not, right? Have you ended up like developing any hacks or for example, like putting together spreadsheets or like discovering any apps that could like allow you to compare the prices of different items that are on your wish list? Oh, the comparing thing, not so much, but you know how online nowadays there are a lot of these websites that will give you cash back on the Mm. purchase. So maybe I think Rakuten or Mr. Ebates or I don't know. There's like certain websites Mm. where if you just shop from a lot of these, uh, companies online they'll just give you like one percent two percent back i don't know how exactly that works i assume that the company itself is probably giving them something and that to drive traffic to their website but wherever i buy anything online if if there is something that i can earn money back i will do so so on those websites like the, mm. on those sites like i talked about in addition on credit cards i will never put anything on a credit card if it doesn't get me something back because ultimately what's the point right unless i don't have a choice but I feel as if all my credit cards have 1% back on this or 5% back on certain ca- on certain categories. And these are like very simple things you can do. They're not things that you need to actively think about. If you have a credit card that gives you 1% back at a minimum, then you just charge it on your credit card. Um, I, if you have mm-hmm. certain credit cards that give you more back on gas or restaurants, you know, have a few of those. You don't need to have a Rolodex of credit cards, but you should at the, at the very least have like two or three <laughs> credit cards, which you know will give you some cash back on certain things. And I feel like that's a very simple, almost passive way of making a couple extra dollars here and there on the things that you're already going to be spending money on. For sure. Yeah. And relating to what you just mentioned about like, don't make a big impulse purchase. I I think, um, I mean, I didn't know it was a habit or I didn't know it was a hack, but then somehow when I was moving to this current um, flat before, Mm -hmm. somehow I developed this habit where like when I saw something that I thought I needed for the house, but then like in hindsight, yeah, furniture or like decoration, 
I, I don't know. It's just like maybe like a slightly more expensive painting or mm. um, coffee table, you know, something like that. Like I would see them and then be like, oh, I really want to get this one. But then I would actually stop myself from actually hitting purchase. I would copy the link um, to the purchase <laughs> page and then paste it over to um, a spreadsheet that I was keeping. And then it was basically kind of like my furniture wish list. And then I would just like put it over on the spreadsheet and then forget about it for a few months. And then when I revisit the spreadsheet again, I would look at those items like, do I still want them? And then almost 100% of the time, I would look at the items like, why did I even want it in the first place? So that's how... I saved money, yeah. There are so many times when you go anywhere and you're just buying something for the sake of buying something because you want that immediate satisfaction of like having something new, right? But that satisfaction is very short term. You get it, you take it home, Mm. you put it down, it's there, it's nice to look at. That's not to say that the product is bad or it shouldn't be in your apartment. That's just to say that in that moment, at least, you're buying it because you want that sudden spike in endorphins and you want to feel good about that purchase. If wherever possible and you can detach yourself from it, I think, like you said, it's always best just to like take a step back, think about it, go home, digest it. And this is not to be yeah. done for every single purchase. If you need to buy a toilet paper, I don't think you should dwell on if you need toilet paper, right? <laughs> That's true. You need toilet paper, <laughs> who cares true. if it's like an extra two cents, right? You, you need the toilet paper right yeah. now. But like large, medium purchases like that, um, discretion, discretionary luxury, things like that. I think you should always, if possible, do a little bit of research. Yeah. And I feel like deep down, we all know that, I don't know, maybe some people might have that whole like spending problem and and it's because they fail to differentiate what's needed or what's, mm. what, what are the items that they actually just, you know, like want instead of need. Um, but I feel like deep down, we all have that ability to differentiate okay um you know the very fact that i paused and then put it over on my spreadsheet is probably deep down i knew that this is not really necessary and there's a potential chance that the item might not work for my house um so that's why i did that right there's like a thing i always talk about is we all obsess over money whether or not you have a lot of money and you don't know what to do with it, whether or not you don't have a lot of money and you're obsessing over how to make more money, no matter where you fall on the spectrum, we all obsess over money. And I think to connect with that point, if you learn to better understand yourself as a person and what makes you happy in terms of uh, in terms of, of tangible things, I mean, in terms of like what things actually bring you, yourself, intrinsic happiness, as opposed to you buying a fancy, I don't know, what's a fancy thing that you bought recently <laughs> i'm like putting you on the spot right know. now okay luxury bag is about you bought a nice luxury bag recently <laughs> of your favorite brand right it's one thing just to buy something because everyone else has it and now it's in trend it's another thing if it's something that if you really boil it down you stop to think about it, it actually brings you internal happiness um i always mm. say that you should really not give a shit what other people think about you and that's not to mean that you should be like a jackass like me and just like not give a shit about people. But that means that <laughs> find happiness where it actually matters. So uh, t- uh, take mm. for instance, I always joke about on my podcast, and I'm I'm not trying to plug the podcast. I always joke about how I drive a older vehicle, a older, well aged, vintage vehicle. But to me, that brings me no happiness to, let's say, have a nicer name brand, like luxurious new car every two, three years, right? Uh, to me, it brings no value. So I don't. I choose not to waste my money on that. And I choose to spend money elsewhere where I find value or where I find intrinsic happiness. So some people might, if they don't even know it, if they really think hard about it, like, why do you need that nice car? 
you could tell me it's safer, it's uh, it's like smoother on the road, all the stuff that actually makes sense. But like like for cars, for instance, certain cars up to a certain point, they only they they get there's diminishing returns in terms of how much better the car drives, and is like makes you feel safer on the road compared to how much more it costs. Right, there's probably a chart somewhere at some point where there is a good car that's it drives well. It's very safe. It's at a good price point. It's, it's maybe not the cheapest car, but anything beyond that is just you're really buying the brand and you're buying the appeal of having a Audi or like a BMW or like a, a Lexus, right? It's like you're mm. buying the brand as opposed to you're buying the actual safety of the car. So you should always boil it down to when you make these large purchases, and maybe this is a philosophy on cash overall, like why do you need something? Uh, aside from toilet paper, like we talked about, why do you actually need something, right? Like, is it bringing yeah. you happiness or is it just trying to bring up your status so that other people perceive you in a better light? That's so true. And I mean, I agree with you. Actually, um, when it comes to car purchases, I also don't really care about what brands of car that I drive until um, maybe I was chatting with my partner I feel like somehow, you know, which city you live in or the mm-hmm. environment that you're in, um, it could potentially kind of like alter how you perceive things even on a short-term basis. Because if, for example, you know, in LA, everyone drives and basically their car <laughs> is their identity. Yeah. And I just feel like, um, I, I wonder, it's like, oh, if one day I move to LA, um, will I change from a person who doesn't care about cars to a point where I would kind of rely on the car to kind of shape or tell my identity or, you know, I I don't know. I I think that's a good point. I think what you mean is wherever you are, wherever you're situated, your thoughts about what matters to you are changed by your environment. You're in a place right now where maybe cars are not a necessity. So it's not that big of a deal, right? You move somewhere else like California where you really have to drive around. So then you look into cars. And when you start looking into cars, yeah. you maybe start looking into nicer cars. And then before you know it, you're that person that has a really nice car, but this is like your first real car that you've had. So I think it's true. Our perceptions on the value of something, the quote unquote value of it, the per dollar value of it is different based on where we are, which is why yeah, yeah. You know, f- financial advice Whatever we're talking about today, whatever your your guests are talking about this month, it's not like a cookie-cutter approach for every single person. Even if you find one method from one person that seems closer to you, it's still going to be tailored to whatever your lifestyle is, to whatever you think matters more to your situation, right? Um, You know, we talk about... if we need to get real about, you know, the fact that we live in a very materialistic world, um, especially um, everyone's kind of like under the influence of Instagram, you know, like social media. I think these days social media has this huge influence over people's purchase decisions to the point that we didn't realize how influential these apps are, right? I mean, let's be real, we live in this world. So, you know, coming from you, Linji, do you have any like wisdom or tips to share with our listeners, you know, rather than just, okay, don't care about what people think of you? Mm -hmm. Like, is there a way, is there a mindset we can develop, you know, while acknowledging this is the world that we're living in? Yeah, dude, I I will be the first one to tell you that money matters a lot. Obviously, it's To a point, it doesn't matter anymore. When you have what is your definition of enough, then it it doesn't matter anymore. But I'm not going to tell a person that is fresh out of college, that has never had a job before, just go YOLO life. You know, money doesn't matter because it's all based on where you are in your life. You do have to put in the work no matter where you are to settle on a point that's easy, right? We have a lot of these people now, especially like you said, given the internet, where people are always um, talking about how they're 
financially independent at such an early age, at the age that you mm. and I might have thought was not possible for our generation, right? And that skews your perspective on what you should be. But you should always be working hard up to a point. So going back to the person that just got out of college, I think no matter how you want to sugarcoat it, that person still has to work their ass off to you know, get into the workforce, find a job that hopefully he, he and she or she will like, tolerate at best, and then make up some money, and then use that pool of money to do something else that they actually would prefer to do, right? No matter what you need to... The, there's always a long journey to get to where you want to be. So you have to work hard no matter what. And to connect that with what I did was when I came out of college and up until maybe like five years ago when my son was born, I was always a, a workaholic. Like that was my philosophy. You had to just really work as hard as you can. But even at that point, I knew that I was working towards an end. So in terms of like answering your, your actual questions, like know where your end is. I have some general idea of where your end is, right? Don't just work blindly for the sake of working blindly. If you choose to work your ass off, that's great. I'll be the first person to tell you that if you really do want to work six, seven days a week for a short period of time in your life, just to achieve the goals that you want to, to achieve the long-term goals, that is your personal choice. And you shouldn't feel shamed when other people tell you about, oh, you need to find work-life balance, which I think is very important. But if you're making a conscious choice and you're aware of this situation and you do want to work six, seven days for however many years to get to a goal, you should do it. And don't ever feel ashamed about it. And when you were working full time, what did that like end look like for you? Uh, the blurry end, because at that point I hadn't had my son yet, was just to have a house, have it paid off, retire by somewhere mm. to 40 to 50. And this is for both me and my wife to retire at the point where we are still young enough to enjoy our lives and had secure enough money that we could just work part time or freelance or just take on, you know, contract work here and there. Right. Uh, that was where I foresee things. But I knew to get to that point, I needed to really make as much money and, and work as hard as I could. Um, it's just that where I am right now happened a little bit faster because not because I made more money, but because once I had my son, you know, things, your perspective on things and where that mm. ultimate goal becomes a little bit more clear. So it was not a blurry goal of, be, uh, of retiring when I was 40. It was a more uh, 2020 goal of just like spending more time with my son. And how do I need to adjust that goal relative to me wanting to spend more time? Um, so like I said, you know, life and your goals are just always free flowing. There isn't really going to be mm. good advice that's going to fit you. And even if it fits you now, it's going to change based on where life takes you. So how did that decision making work for you? Because you eventually, mm. like you mentioned, you just flowed into the decision of like um, becoming a full-time dad. And of course, you know, finance could be a huge consideration yeah. in there, right? So how did you make sure that you could get to this point and you would still be okay? So I had the luxury of making that choice. Actually, I had the luxury of making the choice and acting on it because the years and the decades prior to that, I worked hard and we saved up a lot of money. You know, I work hard. My wife worked hard. She's a registered nurse. Uh, I was doing property management slash real estate at that time. So, you know, we had disposable income that we were saving constantly throughout all those working years. So when it came to the point where, where we had a kid, and it was like, oh, maybe we could do this full time. Maybe we could like, I could give up my 
job and just do this full time because we had the privilege of having you know certain things already done. We we already had a house purchase. Obviously, we still had a mortgage, but at least the house was, you know, purchased. We had a, a decent amount in the bank that we could always fall back on. Uh, my wife was going to choose to still work at that time. She was just switching to like a place that was closer to home, so she wouldn't have to commute as long. Um, you know, there were different things that we had the privilege of, which is why, to my last point, you kind of have to, at some point in your life, choose to get through that rough period just so you can have the options in front of you. Because, you know, hypothetically, if my son was born and we didn't have a house purchase yet, and we didn't have enough money in the bank to feel secure, I don't think I would have made that choice because I went from mm. a full-time job to zero income. You know, that's like six figures less. All of a sudden, like it, like you know, snap of a finger, you're done. That's a, that's a lot less money. So it meant that we also, in addition to having those pre-built safety nests, we also had to make hard financial choices, right? Like how do we adjust our lifestyle? so that we don't uh, burn through all this money so fast, right? Or how do we adjust our lifestyle so that, you know, like we now prioritize our son and we can give more him more of the uh, funds that are available so that he has a good life and then we have to like adjust how we live our life. Luckily for, for me, my w- wife and I are very much on the, on the same page. We're both uh, cheap as hell and we don't really look at luxury <laughs> and things like that. So they weren't that difficult choices for us just because of our collective um perceptions on cash but we did have to make a lot of adjustments to make that work and at the same time i'm still young enough where i do know that worst case scenario right let's say for whatever reason uh we go on five vacations a year because that's what we want to do yolo right take our son on five vacations Mm -hmm. a year we have emergencies on the house you need like a new roof or like whatever and it eats through all our funds i still know that i'm still young enough and i'm at least fairly confident in my own ability to get a job to take care of my family. If it gets to the point, I am not like ashamed to, let's say, go work at a fast food job if I have to, to support my family. Like I don't need other people to like look at me like, oh, he has a white collar job as opposed to a blue collar job. But like to me, that makes no difference how other people perceive me. If push comes to shove and I have to like flip burgers to, you know, make a living for my son and that's my only option, I will do that. So making this big life choice was a bunch of different um, components coming together. That's a very important thing to bring out. I mean, first of all, I really like how you set a really concrete vision or like visualize what that goal that you were working towards, you know, like a lot of people might have really vague goals. Like, oh, I want to get rich. But then what, what does rich look like to them? Right. I mean, mm-hmm. your goal wasn't getting rich, but then your goal was getting to that end point where you could potentially think about um, taking it easy, like not working nine to five. And that would look like you having a house or a certain tangible things that were listed out and I feel like in that sense it would be a lot easier for someone to like work towards achieving those like goals that are clearly mapped out and visualized and at the same time I really like how you mentioned earlier that you know um, even if that means you have to go back into the workforce in a job that's not as flashy as what people would perceive but I feel like yeah these days it's like there's this like whole misconception about how like oh if you are not in a certain flashy job it means you are dumb or like you're not competent but then I feel like there's one thing that's not talked about enough is that people should make their job decisions at any given point in life based on their lifestyle. So let's say if they could only work four hours 
a day because they have other mm-hmm. things to take care of. And if it means working as a barista at a cafe, that could give them that flexibility, right? That also goes into the decision making. It's not because they're in that job because they are dumb, because they can't go into yeah, a flashy no. job. Because at the same time, the flip side of a flashy office job could be that they don't have time left um, after 6 p.m. Yeah, you really have to find a balance point between working at a job that you can tolerate doing the hours and having that uh, family, friend, work-life balance. I think that is genuinely something that we struggle with. Um, we probably have mm. are in a more fortunate uh, situation, but I know a lot of people do struggle with that. You have a whole younger generation of kids that are coming out of school now, and it's either you land the big job or they don't want to do a lot of the, the blue-collar jobs, like we said, right? For whatever reason, I don't want to blame everything on social media, but I feel social media does, in some ways, speed up the spread mm. of um, what word am I and looking romanticize. for? Romanticize, right? Even if you take, yeah. for instance, uh, financial freedom and like all these these people online that tell you what to do with your money, I feel like, and it's not their fault, but I feel a lot of people look at those people and think, oh. I have X amount of money sitting in the bank, whether it's $2, whether it's $10,000, I'm not doing anything with it. And then they start feeling bad, like I'm not having my money work for me. I need to be like all these people online who are getting like 2% here, doing an ETF here, doing a CD over here. Like there is this constant need to always keep up with what other people are doing, even if it's a good thing. Like there, it's good to get to have your money have uh, to be passively making money on itself and to accrue, uh, accrue savings that way. But I feel like if you don't have the time to to find to manage your money, you you shouldn't feel like you're doing something wrong just because every financial influencer on the internet is saying that you should not have your money sit there and, and you should be doing something. So I think social media in some ways really just like speeds up this process about about feeling bad about your situation, no matter where you are. That's so true. Yeah, and I remember recently I was just watching a video of um, someone pointing out that um, how social media really influences people's patches or like travel decisions now. Like even, you know, like when you see like a reel um, of someone saying like uh, five bucket list places that you should visit yeah. within a country. And those are the most expensive um, spots or like hotels within a country. And then it kind of like that one minute reel in itself just creates the pressure to someone who travels to that place. Um, he or she might be thinking that I must visit all of these spots. But then they didn't realize that maybe the person who made that real, they visited those places in the span of, let's say, like 10 years, something like that. Yeah. Have you ever seen those comparisons where it's like this on social media and this in real life, where it's like the same exact spot? It'll be like on TikTok, it'll look so good so glamorous yeah. and then in real life it's like tourists all lined up on queue for like half an hour to take the one same picture that you do like there is an expectation of those glamorous spots that i think never really matches when you go in real life i'm sure like, to, like there are some places where it's just as grand and it's as beautiful as it seems but you know having your whole vacation be based around some glamorous hyper edited like 30 second clip of something you know should not be how you do it exactly that reminds me of how um when i went to bali um Mm. i I don't know if you have seen it around but when it comes to Bali, there's this like always this photo of um someone posing in front of like a temple or like a gate and yeah. then with a mountain in the back. And then they have this like reflection in the frame, right? And oh, for okay. the longest time, 
<laughs> For the longest time, I thought it was like a, a nice pond in front of the gate. But then when I went there <laughs> for the first time, was I was so or something? damn shocked because there was literally this guy sitting on a plastic stool, and then he would take your phone, and then you pay a certain fee, of course. Yeah, and then basically he would put a mirror. Um, oh, like, so the reflection yeah, the was not of, even like water. It was just a standard mirror. It was just a mirror. And then you were literally standing around along mm-hmm. with 100 or 200 people who were waiting to do the same photo. And then they had this whole like audio system to announce that you, you would get your ticket. Let's say wow. if your ticket number is like 56, you're waiting for your number to be called. And then you would go there. Um, you're allowed to do five posts. <laughs> I'm just like, Yo, what? <laughs> that's crazy. But the takeaway is whoever is the guy that is doing that has to be banking a lot of money. Because it's a constant, yeah. it's it's feeding itself, right? Because you, you're selling a service, but the people in turn are taking the product, the picture that you're making, and they're further advertising for your service, right? They're not like consciously doing it, but when they show other people the same picture, now those friends want to come back to you, the business owner, the guy who's taking the picture. So maybe the best financial advice is to do something like that, <laughs> to be that person yeah. who makes like a, a very oh photogenic... Instagram, TikTok, <laughs> social media spot, and just like have your one stool there. I want to be working from a plastic stool like that. <laughs> <laughs> it's my dream job. <laughs> Ho- hopefully, he was making good money. Hopefully, he's making good money, not even relative to the country's currency, but just good money overall. Because tourists tend to have more. Mm. Yeah. Or tourists would be willing to pay more than a local is for that Instagrammable photo. So, hopefully, that guy is doing well for himself. Yeah, for sure. For sure. I mean, indeed, tourism actually supports um, the local economy quite a bit. And then they have, you know, just the nicest people there. And I'm glad that they are somehow able to live a better life off of tourism. So I think that kind of works out. Yeah, I heard your series on Bali and it it sounds Ah, fantastic. And it it seems like the place (laughs) that you. you eventually want to retire to. Yeah, but now it's become that like uh, hip retirement destination, which is getting like kind of overcrowded. Is and that then a post-pandemic I feel like thing? you, yeah, yeah. So it's like apparently a lot of um, tourists, maybe like uh, the Balinese people always say, oh, there are a lot of like um, Russian, uh, Australian mm. tourists around. And then um, one of the problems was that like people would go to Bali thinking that it's like Disneyland or like a theme park. They don't have mm-hmm. to think about consequences, whatever they do, they can get oh. like completely drunk, harass people. And then they could rent a scooter without an actual proper driver's license. So it's mm-hmm. causing a lot of accidents. So I feel like you'll get incredibly annoyed if you're there. <laughs> I, ca- I cannot stand people like that inconsiderate people in all forms of life i mean i i just can't do it i can't do it all the time i don't have road rage but sometimes when i see bad drivers on the on the road who is let's say double parked and they're clearly blocking the entire road so that other cars can't come and they're fully aware of what they're doing but they're still choosing to do stuff like that Mm. i cannot take i mean as a guy that sounds like a jackass myself i cannot take like people (laughs) like that because i feel like my form of a uh, jackassness is at least considerate jackassness like i will move my car if i'm blocking away but oh my god people like that i just cannot stand uh have you heard Yours this term like, like high level jackassness high level jackass <laughs> <laughs> have you heard this term revenge spending yes post pandemic i feel like everyone is doing so much just like it's no longer tangible goods anymore it's just like i'm gonna go out there and experience the world whether it be 
uh, restaurants more often during the week, whether it be like two, three more vacations per year. Like there is a lot of people spending their money on that throughout these past yeah. couple of years. And it has become a trend as well, right? And then I just feel like on YouTube and on any given day, there will be a lot of like YouTube videos telling you, oh, um, like I quit, why I quit my job, you know, something like that. I mean, I think if it's a very well thought out decision, it's admirable. But then I just feel like it's kind of becoming worrying because this has become a trend. This kind of live decision has become a trend to the point that, which you mentioned earlier, some graduates um, who just got out of uni, they might think that's something that they need to work towards. Or they might think, oh, it's cool to be quitting your job without really thinking about what that entails. So I think this is why I did this series as well, because during the series, we also interviewed a couple more people who kind of made the conscious decision to quit their nine to five. And I wanted them to share, you know, the whole decision making process, the mindset that they had, the planning that it took to get to that point. And you are one of them also. (laughs) Yeah, like, I know exactly the types of videos that you're talking about. Like, I quit my six-figure job to, I don't know, like, fish on the pond. There's, It's a very glamorous, clickbaity title. And you, no matter mm. what situation you're in, you look at it like, oh, shit, I want to fish in the pond and, like, not do anything all day, right? So you think that it's this possible option for you when in reality, it's just me making up numbers, like, like less than 1% of people are even in the situation where they can possibly think about doing it, let alone actually do that. It's only the very rare amount of people that are both maybe, maybe they've worked up a certain amount or they're just, uh, their circumstances are to their advantage where they can do it, whether they're privileged, what, you know, whatever the case is, it's like, there's a very select amount of people that have the privilege of doing that. Um, so it glamorizes this whole, I need to quit and work for myself mentality. Everyone should always like try to do something for themselves, but do everything with a plan. You can't YOLO your way through life jumping around thinking, I'm going to be the same as this YouTuber mm-hmm. who's been doing that. Because I'm sure if you look into each person's story, they probably worked a lot to get to that point. And you know, if for those that are doing it online, they're probably doing it in some ways as a creative pro- profession as well. Like Their life documented online is also part of their um, revenue that they're generating, right? You may not have that. Not Everyone has a very fun life when they want to, to to retire. You know, as crappy as it sounds, like sometimes a lot of us, most of us are just meant to work nine to five. And there's nothing inherently wrong with that. It's just that your views on that might need to change. Your, uh, your wants and your desires from life might have to adjust. But I don't think everyone in the world can just like quit their jobs and like YOLO life. That's so true. Yeah. And I mean... I mean, we, we're not here to criticize people's decisions to quit the nine to five because like if it's something that's really for them and they really like took the whole decision making process to get to that point, then that's completely fine. Um, exactly. But then I feel like definitely the critical thinking needs to be enabled here whenever we are watching that kind of content like we need to start asking questions like what is something that the person's not telling us right uh, like mm-hmm. what's beyond the surface like did that person come from a very wealthy family or maybe that person might have like this whole you know might have the ability to make a five minute video to make his or her life look right. very glamorous as a jobless person but then maybe the person behind the scenes he or she is in debt right. or like I don't or know. maybe it's Homeless, just a temporary even. thing. Yeah, exactly, right? Yeah. Or it's just like a temporary thing. Maybe they're doing this as a temporary yeah. thing. But when you look at it, you think, oh, this is a permanent thing. He's going to be permanently fishing and 
in the small pond for the rest of his life. When in reality, maybe it's just like a short term thing. This person quit his job for a year or two to you know go uh, travel the world, yeah. right? And they're spending the money that they save, which is a perfectly fine thing to do, and that's their plan. But you think of it as oh. You can do that for the rest of your life. I mean, taking a career break is a real thing. Which yep. uh, I mean, everyone should do that when they need it. But then, what I really love doing is that whenever I come across these content, I would go back to the channel maybe like a year or two years later and see if they're <laughs> see still doing they the same thing, or are they still uploading content about the same thing? If they have been consistently doing right. that kind of content for at least two years, that's when you're like, okay. Like, I respect this person. Maybe he or she yeah. really has something useful to say. <laughs> yeah. yeah. There is so much good advice on the internet. You just have to really filter it yeah. and think what applies to you. For sure. Yeah. But I mean, like, going back to the topic of this episode, which I have no idea what the topic is really. Yeah, good um, luck to you chatting. when you have to title this episode. I don't know what the hell kind of title that you're going to make that's going to be tantalizing know, to your listeners. Yeah. Old man in New York yeah, complains right? about why young people care too much about money. Or as we like to tease you about, like you're you're the one among our podcaster friends who sits on bags of cash. Bags so, of cash. <laughs> this is a if I have to come job. up with a very clickbaity title of like how to sit on bags, bags of cash. cash. <laughs> They're metaf- metaphorical bags of cash. They're not literal bags of cash. I'm sitting on a. I think my. I think this chair was free. Some company wanted to send me a chair just to test out the chair. So this chair is free. Everything I have is like, whatever. You know, like, since now you're not in the 9 to 5 grind, you're Mm -hmm. kind of like a full-time husband, right? What does, like, budgeting look like to you? Like, do you sit down, um, spend the time to look through your finances um, every week or every month? Like, what what does that look like for you? If you know me for a long time or maybe even a short time, you know I probably am the person that makes an Excel sheet with all the um, estimated expenses for the month. And then at the end of the month, he'll calculate and and categorize every expense. And then he'll see whether I'm uh, over or under budget that day. And you'll track every single dollar that he spends. Up until like six months ago, I was totally that person. One, 100%. I had an Excel sheet for everything. You know, like I knew what my fixed costs per month were, you know, like the mortgage, uh, gas, electricity, insurance, this, insurance, that. Like there were fixed uh, bills and fixed expenses that I, I always had. So to a minimum, we always needed to have that amount. Um, I will say though, now that for the past year, I have not been doing that. For the past year or so, I have not been doing that. I still have a good general idea of how much we spend. Um, mm. It's tough because if you really want to sit there and you want to plan your budget, which I think everyone should do, not month to month, but maybe every year just refresh it. Sit there, take a look at it, see how much you spend on fixed things that are, are at absolute, see how much roughly you spend on like food, travel, things like that, and see like what was worth it that year. I think some people really should, as, as long as you have the time, do that once a year or so. Because you'll be surprised like how much money you spend on certain things and how much money you could be spending on things that you thought you were already um, saving a lot on. Saving a lot. Could be spending money on things. I, I probably have the nots and is mixed up on that. But <laughs> what I mean is like you need to really assess how much you're spending. Because if you want to make good decisions, you need to have the information to make good decisions. Uh, don't really mm. obsess about it, but at least have a good idea. You should always know how much your fixed monthly expenses are. Ideally, if you can budget for yourself, like you know, this month I'm going to spend only a thousand dollars on food, you know, food going out and stuff like that, which is probably a lot. But that brings me joy and that brings me uh, passion. That's fine. 
and maybe on the next column spend a little bit less on something else you know other luxury items you can spend less on right instead of having like a name brand sweater buy like a plain sweater you know it probably feel the same to you um, but like we said earlier to connect it's all about like finding what what makes you happy there's always a I always have this running joke with my friends that when I go to a restaurant, every restaurant to me is all-you-can-eat buffet. No matter how much the things are, every restaurant to me is all-you-can-eat buffet because I find a lot of happiness and joy and pleasure in trying new food and not being handcuffed by the prices, which is a very fortunate mm. thing that I ha- that I get the luxury to do. To do. I'll, I'll be the first one to tell you that, but that's not because I'm sitting on bags of physical money. That's because I choose to save in other places so that when I go to a restaurant... I don't look at the right column where it says how much it is. I just get whatever I want because I want to try it and that makes me happy. Um, And that's me internally finding happiness. So Mm. a budget is always good. Leave your space, leave yourself space to spend money on the places that do make you actually happy. And then the other things is where you try to save money on, right? Um, If your gas bill is too high, see if there's you can switch gas companies if that's something that's available to you. If your cell phone bill is high, same thing too. Car insurance side, like there are other ways you can spend a couple minutes just to save a couple hundred dollars. You know, those areas save money on. The other areas that matter Mm -hmm. to you, give yourself a break within reason. Give yourself a break. Don't count every penny. Yeah, that's so true. Like, I I mean, it's like, I I know there are people who live a completely frugal life and then they are like, they go cheap on everything. But then just like, what's the fun, um, you know, in it, living that kind of life, right? I mean, at least allow yourself, like you mentioned, one aspect or two aspects in your life to, you know, have fun a little. Not every aspect in life if you don't sit on actual bags of cash. Um, Yeah. You have to make a choice. You can't have everything in life. There's only a few people that can just get whatever the hell they want in life and not have to think about money. Most of us are not like that. I don't think Warren Buffett is going cray-cray with everything, right? Right, and he has a lot of money. Yeah, but then he he lives in a rather modest home as well. So, I mean, even, even... Yeah, even a person like him, he was saying that despite the money, all the money that he has, and being one of the richest people on earth, um, Mm -hmm. he would still choose to have a watch that's good enough, not like one of those like luxury or crazy watches out there. And then he would live in a relatively humble home because that's just enough for him and he doesn't need anything more. So I think this mindset is really what, makes people rich like if we would like to use the word rich like Mm -hmm. it's not the fact that he has lots of money i mean you could be a billionaire but then if you have like shitty money spending habits you could still become homeless the next minute of course i if we learn nothing else from this is like uh, two parts one you should really figure out what makes you happy and spend your time Mm -hmm. and your focus on that and number two this is like a very old saying, but a penny saved is a penny earned. If you cannot make more mm. money somewhere, if you cannot uh, find a better job that pays you more money, if you cannot uh, do good investments that will net you better passive income, if you can't do any of that, you can always save more money. You know, And like I said, save in the reasonable places to save money. You don't have to reuse toilet paper. Going back to toilet paper again. Right? <laughs> save wherever you can save money because saving a lot of money is just as it's exact, it's the exact same net result as you making a little bit more money. I mean, just now you mentioned when you're budgeting, you used to have an Excel sheet, um, but now you kind of like don't really do it religiously anymore. Mm -hmm. Um, So, you know, like if you have any money habit or advice for our listeners, let's say if they're the most type B, if they are Ben, like obviously (sighs) maintaining an Excel sheet will not really work for them, right? Because Mm -hmm. I feel like there are people who 
I mean, I think one really useful mindset to have is like, don't um, let any fancy habits or like tools to get in the way of you managing your finances. Yeah. Like you don't actually need an Excel sheet to be able no. to get your finances in order. Like you can work out your own way to do it. But then I'm wondering if for listeners, you know, or for Ben who would like to get started <laughs> with like sorting out their finances, is there like one thing that you would suggest them to do almost religiously? I guess it's very similar to what I said before, but I, I'm always reassessing my financial status and I'm always reassessing where my my assets are. Like I'm constantly aware of how much money I have in these assets or in, in this portfolio here or in these physical goods. I'm always aware of my situation. And that's not me having to always sit down and calculate. You know, it's, it's a general idea. I don't have everything down to the dollar, right? I'm always reassessing and I'm always following the news. And this is not me religiously mm -hmm. reading the financial times or anything like that but you know i'm always like that's the whole point of the podcast you can always um listen to something while you do something else and being aware of the world environment and being aware of your own financial status allows you whenever you need to to readjust your financial situation right um i was having a chat with a bunch of friends who were like talking this past weekend about whether or not they should be paying more into their mortgage or because some cds are giving a higher interest than what their mortgage is, maybe they should be putting more money in that as long as the principles are the same. Like You should always be aware of the world environment and your own financial status. And that's just having the right tools to do it. I don't think there's one mm. tool that I use. I just have a lot of banking apps and I'm every once in a while just checking in to see where I am. I have this constant, uh, I guess, idea in my head. But just... Being mm -hmm. fully aware of where you are financially and being aware of where the world is financially. Not to the detail for either things, but just have a general idea is always good. Mm -hmm. And if I could ask a follow-up question, let's say if yeah. you see headlines saying the Fed is not going to cut rates or like mm -hmm. more inflation you know, is on the way, right? Like, What would be your first reaction? Like, Will you be making a call to like your financial advisor, you know, if you have one or like what, what would be something that you do related to your money? I am very risk adverse. So even my financial stuff is all tied up in ETFs and uh, index funds because mm. I'm more of like a long-term thinker. I don't think I am personally smart enough to be picking individual stocks. And also, like I said before, mm. the past 10, 15 years, everyone was a stock genius because the market overall you know, generally speaking, was doing well. So it was very easy to make money during those years. And even during th those years, same thing too, ETFs, index funds. Like in the long haul, I'm sure you've read through Warren Buffett and through like a lot of other people. If you just, just, just bet on the market overall, it's always a better goal as long as you have the ability to wait long-term for something, right? This is not day trading I'm talking about. This is more like long-term things. Um, so I'm never yeah. reacting to things via stocks and things like that maybe i'm adjusting like i needed to um, like for the example of that friend maybe i'm gonna put more money into cds because they're paying five percent but his mortgage is like uh, i don't know 2.5 or three percent because he got a good rate uh years ago not factoring the principal amount because i know that throws off the math but you know it's more like small things like that. I'm not so reactive in the moment, in the day. It's more reactive, you know, mm. generally speaking, across the month, across the weeks or so. And one thing I've been um, testing out for fun, I mean, I'm not like mm -hmm. really banking on it. It's like sometimes I allocate a little bit of like play money. What's Just play a money? Little bit. What are you playing, Isabel? I mean... Let me get to the point, <laughs> you, know? <laughs> you know, play money to test out, 
new financial options. You know, like these days, there are a lot of like AI, you know, like AI is everywhere, right? Like AI yeah. robo advisor. And they would like, based on algorithms, and they put together this like portfolio that the AI thinks will make money. So mm-hmm. um, I did not put a lot of money in there, but then I put like a tiny bit just to like fulfill my curiosity. Like, is this actually going to work? So maybe, you know, it's, it's, this is not, even I don't even call it an investment. It's kind of like an experiment. It's like it is. for me to fulfill my curiosity. Like, can AI really replace like human investment decisions? Not that I think human investment decisions are really smart because human actually make a lot of like, dumb decisions. Uh, dumb decisions when it yeah. comes to investments. Yeah. So I was just kind of like really comparing. Like, it, does AI have something that we don't? You would think that on the surface, AI should theoretically make better decisions because they can yeah. calculate and process so much more information than a human can, right? In theory, exactly. it seems like it would make sense because they're looking at the historical trends and they're predicting based on forecasting the future. It, it seems like it. But you know, to your point, humans don't even make a decision. There's lots of people that just freaking throw stuff at a dartboard and it just happens to work out. It's emotions, yeah. Yeah, there's yeah. like the things where people have are like making bets based on which... Which uh, which banana the monkey at the zoo takes? You know, like I forgot. There's some experiment where they did something like that, and they pitted him against an actual uh, trader, and the monkey did better based on stocks off of uh, which bananas he picked. And that's a maybe hmm. one-off example, but I'm trying to say like, if people want to invest in stocks, I feel like you really need to invest a lot of time. You need to do a lot more research than the average person can do to invest in stocks because to me like i said i'm risk adverse so i feel like when you're jumping into an option like that you really need to know exactly what's going on with the company what's going with the market you know there's so much stuff to factor in that i think even a good well-intentioned person probably is not able to process all that which yeah, is like, to me, I invest in ETFs, index funds, you know, like sector funds. It, it, it's different. If you want to just bank on, on a solar overall, as opposed to like one particular solar company, like that's where your, you know, your thoughts are long term, then you can do that. Yeah. And, and that whole like index fund and ETF is basically a manifestation of like diversification, right? Like you don't put all your eggs in one basket. And I think these days, like a lot of investment decisions have been really driven by social media or like yeah, oh um, influencers. And then, you know, there are people who aren't completely educated when it comes to, uh, I'm not saying I'm really educated, but then there are people who would literally just listen to social media like like a yes. one minute reel or like a youtube video and then like they would put all their money in this like new asset class and then they would just hope that it's going to make them rich but that it's never going to be as simple as that and i feel like maybe like you and i are kind of like old school or tradition in a way but mm-hmm. then i still think um like you mentioned etf and index fund are relatively safe options uh, yeah. but if you do want to try out maybe like new products or like new asset classes i think i would mostly suggest you know like you go in without expecting that you're going to make money you think of it as experiment or even like like i mentioned earlier like play money money. like you go in knowing that you're gonna lose all the money exactly yeah so it's just like you need to go into those like newer asset classes with the expectation that you're going to lose all of that yeah yeah and then like you said uh with um cryptocurrency uh, with NFTs, with things like that that came to fruition in the past couple of years, there are a lot of people that made a shitload of money super, super fast, right? So that gives you the person that like, holy shit, this guy made a thousand times his investment on Dogecoin. 
you know, I want to do the next thing that's going to do that, right? There is like this mm. FOMO that's constantly in there, which drives people to make dumb decisions. You know? um, yeah. Just, just, you know, just think how long it took you to make that dollar. If you're going to invest your dollar in something, take a little bit of time and like do your research, right? It takes a long time to make $100. You should spend an equal amount of time thinking about where you're going to put those, that $100 instead of just YOLOing it. Ultimately, yeah, if, you exactly. make a, if you make a bad choice, but you did your research, there's nothing else that you could have done. You know, like you, you did the best you could. Just don't, you don't YOLO things like that. That's true. And normally like those stories get rich overnight that make headlines. Like if that works for one person, um, everyone will want to try that. But then if everyone tries that, it means that it's not going to work very quickly. Yeah. <laughs> um, but now it's time for us to move on to the next segment, which is Rapid Fires. In this segment, I'll be asking my guests biased questions that they've got asked at some points in life. And in Linji's case, common misconceptions people have about money and Linji's wealth in general. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. So, Linji, are you ready for all these non-biased that are coming away? Oh, God, away? I'm ready for these very biased questions. Go ahead. <laughs> All right, let's get started. First question. Linji is rich. It's not a bias, is it? Okay, that is probably factually <laughs> true because I'm a very <laughs> real person because I know I am so much more privileged than a lot of the world is, right? Like, I'm a very humble person in the sense that I know that the fact that I don't have to worry about a lot of things means that it's probably true. So I am very rich. And... You know, just to earn extra points. I am very rich with love. I have love for my wife. I have love for my son, for my parents. Like, I am very abundantly filled with the rich human connections. Nice one. Wow. Um, and next question. <laughs> I don't think you need very- to even answer at length for, <laughs> for this one. Um, Linji is richer than Ben. And for our listeners' context, Ben is Linji's podcast co-host on Worst Asian Podcast. Uh, yes, I, I probably am richer than Ben because I made better financial choices with my life. But currently, I think Ben on paper makes more money than me right now because, like I said, I'm really not working a job. So uh, that's, uh, that's uh, maybe not true. That's maybe not true. And I constantly want people like Ben to listen to your series and hopefully get some better advice because I think people like Ben who make a good amount of money on paper just need to make better financial choices with their lives. Maybe he has something hiding from you. He has like a whole vault of like... Uh, no, 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 no. Ben, ben is not smart enough to hold a secret like that. If Ben had a vault of gold bars or something, he would forget the passcode to his vault and have to ask me how he opens the door. So, no, no, no. Ben is not hiding anything. <laughs> I always wonder, it's like, you know, on your podcast, you guys are always dividing that personalities. Like Ben is always kind of the type B and irresponsible yeah. one. And Linji is always the got his shit together one. But then I always like would imagine what if in real life, Linji is the <laughs> one who's, who actually can't get his shit together. It's and you're an framing act. It's Ben. It's all an act. <laughs> now the next question. Linji eats Alaskan king crab every day. <laughs> Um, I eat Alaskan king crab more often than the average person does, but I do not eat it every day. If, uh, if you don't know what Alaskan king crab is, uh, it's, I think it's above snow crab, which I think is technically different. Maybe mm. I'm not sure. 
um, it's this big crab with a giant head and very large long legs and the meat in the legs is what's really really good uh, and per pound it's very expensive and a, a lot of that per pound that you're paying is just for the shell which I think is kind of a ripoff but as with all luxury foods that's just how it is right I do eat it much more often, not because I personally choose to, it's just I go to a lot of celebratory things with family and stuff like that and it's always like there on the table whenever we go out to eat, you know, we, we choose to buy it, we choose to try it. Um, I am a victim of my circumstances, please don't hate me. <laughs> if we put this one out as we were still gonna get cancelled. <laughs> it's like the guy who talks about Alaskan king crab and he's sick of it. <laughs> it's delicious. Um, I didn't have it the last time that it was at a table. I forgot where this was. This was at my mother-in-law's birthday at their house and they got king crab. I didn't even touch it. Wow. Wow. Because I was trying to save it for the other people, okay? That's the real answer. I wasn't tired of it. I was just trying you to too save much it for the it. other family members, you know? I could have it whenever, you know? I wanted them to enjoy it. <laughs> <laughs> I am so fucking All getting right, canceled. Alright, so everyone, everyone next time, if you go to Linji's house or like if you have celebration dinners with him, please expect Alaska King Crab. Now, um, the final question. <laughs> I can answer for you, but um, Linji has a stash of Dom P in his basement. Uh, my, I, I do not have a stash. I have one singular <laughs> bottle, okay? I have a stash of <laughs> lots of wine in my basement. Wine I have a stash of. Dom P, I have one singular bottle that I have not found a good enough occasion to open it for. And I'll okay. tell you, I think, I think I've only had Dom P like once in my life and that was like a sip at someone's wedding. So it's not as if I'm always... Were you, you impressed? Know, no, I wasn't. That's the thing. With so many luxury things, I feel like you're so much... You, it's obviously better, right? But it's not that fold better. It's not 10 times better. It's not ten, It's not worth the price at that, at that point. So that's why I haven't find... I have not found an occasion to drink the one that's in my wine cooler because I just think it's probably not going to be worth it. It's going to be more disappointing when I have it. But... Yeah, Isabel, it's always when the you anticipation. Come York, when you come to New York, Isabel, <laughs> I've made this promise to you. Whenever you come to New York and I see you in person, we'll get some uh, Don P and maybe some King Crab now. Oh my God! Wow. <laughs> okay, I'm I'm booking my tickets or I'm looking for airlines sponsors. If anyone would like to send me to New York so we can do this King Crab Don P. <laughs> Dinners know. only take like three Please. hours. It could be like a quick trip. She can just have a layover here or something. I don't know. Exactly. You, you bring everything to the airport. <laughs> <laughs> And then once we're done, I'll go back in and then fly. <laughs> right back, back to the flight. <laughs> past TSA. Yeah. Just imagine me yeah. walking past TSA with the king crab and the don in the other hand. Can you get through TSA with that? I don't think you can. You I can't. Think you can. Yeah, you can't. liquid limits. Liquid limits. It's too big true. of a liquid. And I don't know what the rules are for live crustaceans. Oh, that's true. That's true. I was going to suggest that like, you and Ben should like each carry like a tiny bottle and then like... <laughs> oh, with yeah. some Lots of tiny bottles. Lots of tiny uh, dumpies. Yeah. Travel size. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Let's conclude this non-rapid yeah. bias. Um, to close out the episode, um, Linji, we talked a lot about your money philosophies, life, wisdom. I just want to leave this episode with one of the realest Asian dad advice that you huh. could give our listeners because you're an Asian dad. What would it be? It does not have to be money related, like any piece sure. of advice that you live by. 
um, spend as much time with your kids as you can. And that just means occupying that. That does not just mean occupying the same physical space. You can't occupy the same physical space if you're both on the phone and he's watching TV. Spend as much real mm. time with your kids as you can because before you know it, and this is the same shit everyone says, but they grow up so fucking fast. And I'm not even talking about when they get 18 years old and they have to leave the house for college. They're going to get to a certain point early in their school years when they just don't even want to really talk to you that much anymore, where it's more of a nuisance and a chore to spend time with you. So especially in those early, early years of having a kid, be present for them as much as you can. Be, be physically and mentally present for them. You know, I see so many parents, and I'm not trying to um, hate on them because I know every parent does their best, but they don't spend enough real quality time with their kids. They may be in the same place, but their dad's on the phone in the corner and their kid's like in the playground, you know, running around doing his own thing. Be present mm-hmm. for your kids, both mentally and physically. Wow. And now, finally, um, this is a twist to a question that we normally mm-hmm. ask our guests on Proudly Asian. What does it mean to be a proud Asian dad to you? Being a proud Asian dad has made me realize that I'm also a proud Asian son because the amount of love and the style of love that I show for my son is completely different than the style that my dad showed for me. So now having had my own son, I realize, you know, everyone shows love in a very different way. You know, it's a running joke that Asian parents don't say I love you. But, you know, factually, that is the case most of the time. My dad, my mom never said that to me. But I know now, looking back on it, and I know like how I feel for my son, that my parents felt the same amount of love for me, just that their way of expressing it was completely different. So being a proud Asian dad also means realizing that I'm a proud Asian son. Mm. Amazing. Well, thank you, Rich Linji, for joining us. Oh, God. You just have to turn it back episode. that way. You have to take a nice <laughs> sentimental moment and just turn the shit back around on me having money. I'm so good at this. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'll, I'll, I'll make sure like in post-production, I leave a few seconds before I come in. Oh, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> a few seconds for yeah. you or the listeners to digest that before you turn it right back to To let that sink in before I ruin the whole moment. Yeah. Seriously. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I appreciate you took the time to chat with us about your life philosophy because I feel like a lot of times like when we're chatting offline, we, we don't really go this way. And no. I always know that you're kind of one of the wisest people around, or at least I know. And I'm always curious, like, what kind of life secret or wisdom that you can share with us. So I'm so glad we did this. Thank you so much for having me on. And I don't want to, I want to leave people knowing that I am by far not the wisest person. <laughs> I am just very well aware of myself and what I want from life. And I think if anything, people just need to reassess what they want from their lives and do things accordingly. You know, Like I kept saying, internal happiness, intrinsic happiness, not external factors like that. So I'm not wise. I'm just well aware of who I am. And uh, make sure you guys check out Worst Asian Podcast. Yep, Thanks, that's not Linji. a joke. That's the actual podcast. Thank you, Isabel. <laughs> That's it for this episode of Proudly Asian. Don't forget to follow us on Instagram at proudly.asian for more content. We are on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and YouTube. Leave us a five-star review on wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for tuning in and signing off for now. I'm Isabel Wong. This, this.